welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that focuses on the technical and inspirational sides of the Star Wars galaxy and the creators that put it together. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And this week we decided to give you guys a little bit of extra study time. Last week we said we're going to jump right into 21 Jump Street and Ron Howard's The Paper to compare the styles of Miller and Lord and Ron Howard since, you know, you have the shake-up on the Han Solo movie. But we're giving you all an exam extension, more time to look at those films so that we can take a look at a topic this week that I think is over overlooked very much overlooked, uh, especially in the context of discussion of changes to the Star Wars films. Everybody talks about the original trilogy changes. Some people can't stop talking about them. It becomes an obsessive thing for fans. Not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying, you know, all of us seem to fall on a certain scale of archivist. And we, you know, I, I mean, there, there are some great sites doing great work you know, doing side-by-side shots of 1977, 97, 2004, 2011 to show all of the things that have been altered or changed or updated or affected by the transfer sequence. So instead of talking about the original trilogy, we this week are going to talk about changes to the prequel trilogy. So I guess my first question to start it all off uh, with us, Mike, is... When you saw the home releases of the the DVD releases of The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, uh, or even the video releases, did you expect changes? Did you hear about changes? Was there anything that caught you off guard about those releases? I think with the DVD release, it, it had been discussed, you know, and there was some talk that there were some changes made to it. And because of that, I was kind of like anticipating those and certainly uh, curious to see what they would be. For the uh, DVD release of Attack of the Clones, like I knew that there were differences between the 35mm prints and the DCPs that went out. And I also knew that there were differences beyond just the the cutting of scenes and the changing of aspect ratio to um, the digital version of Attack of the Clones and the IMAX version, which was released uh, later on that year. So I was curious to see what would happen on the actual uh, DVD. So, But I knew that it wouldn't be the same as the 35mm you know, version. For mm-hmm. Episode 3, I was very much surprised that, aside from one wipe, which I was unaware of, there weren't any changes to it because I just assumed that like with the other two movies, he would, well, like with the other, actually all of the movies except for Jedi, I'm pretty sure, he would continue to tinker with things, you know, as, you know, various platforms uh, came down, you know, the pike in terms of, like, uh, finishing and stuff like that, you know? So, yeah, actually, uh, it, they did, he did change Return of the Jedi he in did. 1997, I guess, but not, not in 83, I don't think. So um no uh Jedi did get changed for the Blu-ray. Yeah, but uh, not not yeah. but like like Star Wars and Empire like the 70 millimeter version is different from the oh, 35 yes. millimeter version. Okay, yes. You know, and all that stuff. And that to me I think is a m- more direct correlation between you know what's going on with this and and what's going on with those, you know, not so much the changes that were made to the special edition where it's like technology has changed and everything like these changes to the prequels are much more sort of like okay we've got a little bit more time to sort of finesse some stuff i mean with i think one major exception which you know i'm sure we'll discuss in episode one but uh, for the most part i think it was just kind of like i didn't have time to finish the movie but i didn't have to have the dcp done quite as quickly so i can you know change a few shots here and there and and tweak some things, you know? Yeah, you know, I remember when the the uh the home video VHS release of Phantom Menace came out and everybody knew that the pod race was going to get extended uh for that. And that was that was something I was actually looking forward to. I was like, "Oh, cool." Cuz I thought there were, you know, 
showing Anakin being able to repair his pod racer, um, you know, while he's going up against the other racers and keeping his cool through all of those things, I thought actually spoke a lot better than just running around a track three times. It showed Anakin having some technical prowess and an ability to keep his head, something that's like way beyond what you would expect a nine or a 10 year old kid to do. So that change I enjoyed. But what I noticed about the VHS version and Lucas, um, notoriously was fighting releasing on VHS. He said, VHS is dying. I don't want to release it before DVD. And the legend is that he, he felt pressured by the fans to release it. Who knows if that's true? You know, that's... Like, it, it, it's highly unlikely. He probably knew that he'd get the money so that he could make the changes to the DVD version <laughs> if he if he released the VHS. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems really weird to me because... For years and years and years, you know, the big question was, when is this movie going to be released on DVD, you know? And it was the type of thing where they kept on saying, like, we want to wait until the market has, you know, saturated to a certain level and stuff like that. And, I mean, that to me was was kind of weird. And, yeah, the VHS release, I mean, that was, you know, 99 was, you know, kind of a time when we were definitely in transition from... Laserdisc to DVD and VHS to DVD. And, you know, there were a lot of movies and a lot of studios or whatever that were sort of still on the fence one way or another. You know, you could, it really came down to kind of like who was releasing certain things in terms of determining like what would be, you know, on which format. But I remember there was a big holdup like years for Phantom Menace. And it really seemed to be nothing more than just like, uh, we want to make sure that there's enough DVD players so that we can make this thing like a huge release when it comes out. But, you know, the VHS thing, like I remember it, it really kind of hurt me a little bit because, you know, while the world was in the process of leaving VHS behind, I had left VHS behind like a good three years prior and moved on to Laserdisc. And yet they never released a Laserdisc of Phantom Menace in the U.S., they only released it in Japan, so I had to take a step back in terms of my technology for for you know Phantom Menace and actually buy the VHS instead of the superior disc based formats. Well, what drove me nuts? I'd be curious about the uh, the Japanese Laserdisc because one of the things that drove me nuts about the home releases of Phantom Menace for a very long time was that the framing was like they had zoomed in mm-hmm. and the edges and I knew because the one shot like I remember watching the whole thing saying there, there's something off about this picture there's like something off on the edges I there's there's stuff I know you can see here and the final confirmation for me was very late in the film when you couldn't see Rick McCallum and Ben Burt on the right side of the frame Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I knew it. I know that those guys are there. I can see the tip of his nose right there. And I know I saw him in the movie theater. And they confirmed that later, I think, with the Blu-ray release where they said there was a the way that they did the transfer, they it had to zoom in for some reason. And so the Blu-ray, I think, is the first time the full frame is presented on home release. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, that was like a pretty common thing back in the day with like Laserdisc. Like in a lot of ways, like the quality of a transfer was judged by how accurately they got the framing on the thing, which mm. should be super easy. But I think probably what was happening back then in a lot of these these instances were them basically just saying, like, boy, that's a really small picture on this 19-inch TV. Like, let's let's zoom that in a little bit, you know. So it's not, it's not technically pan and scan, but at least people can kind of see what's going on. I th- think that was their rationale behind it. But, I mean, as someone who was, you know, definitely like a Laserdisc aficionado, there were numerous movies, including... You know, the the Star Wars movies where it was like, oh, the framing on this is off. And, you know, like you could tell, like, because they had like the original the original widescreen Laserdisc releases and then they did the THX remasters. And like each of those THX remasters had some sort of defect in a way in terms of like various things like a line of dialogue missing from Star Wars. Uh, the initial pressings of Empire had a shot missing. 
um, at a side break, and although they did fix that later on down the line. And then for Jedi, at the time I considered it to be a defect, but now I think it's probably the way it was supposed to be, looking at the old transfer again. But um, they uh, cropped the image slightly on the top and bottom, I think, because, well... There's a hair in the gate in that very first shot of the... Yeah, of the Star Destroyer. Yeah, yeah, that's gone from the THX release, I think because they were cropping it. But also, you could see the um, the hot splice marks uh, in between shots. Right. You'd yeah. see the little flashes. And that's mm-hmm. actually the reason why today's movies in 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 widescreen are 2.39 to 1 and not 2.35 to 1 it's not like the movies got wider they actually got cropped a little bit so that when they were being projected you would not see those types of hot splices i did not know that yeah that's amazing that's huh well (laughs) uh, see the thing is the hair uh, in the in the in the gate on return of the jedi is something that whatever they whatever magic they've done in any release to get rid of it has always made me happy because uh it used to drive me insane because the thing is i mean at its baseline yeah getting the framing right there there are like two different thoughts i have going in my head right now so i'll go for this one still when phantom menace came out that was still and i know this might bend some people's brains that was still during the letterboxing fights at home. I could not get I could not get traction for letterboxing from my parents. My dad knew it was better, but he just straight up said, I just want to see the whole see it take up the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, but it's better. It's you know, it's showing the the way that the film is. And he said, No, I don't want to go for that. And my mom just had nothing to do with it. There was there was nothing to do with it. It's so different nowadays because you have the big you know, flat screen televisions that are, you know, 16 by nine. So the letterboxing is not as noticeable and those sorts of things. And it's, it's such a different time. It's yeah. so, it's so different. We live in such a glorious era where letterboxing is just a given on your disc. You know, it's interesting because I know that we've had this discussion many, many times about like director intent and how I try to like seek out the, the whichever version is the closest to the way the director wants it to be, regardless of my personal preference and everything. And all of that, really, that entire philosophy, which in many ways rules my whole life, <laughs> um, it all comes from one of those arguments, one of those letterbox versus pan and scan mm-hmm. arguments, which I used to have with my uncle, who also was not having any of it, you know, and thought that it was ridiculous because it made the picture so small on the screen. And I would make these arguments, you know, and he was like a great, you know, or he is a great, like, you know, debater about these things. But he's also one of those people who's not going to give up on a fight just because he doesn't you know, want to lose in a lot of ways. Yep. You no, know? I, I, I'm familiar. And, I'm familiar. and you know, we were having this discussion and like I was getting through to him in terms of like the value of it, you know? Like yeah. I, I, he, he clearly understood what the benefit was and yet he still didn't like it. And I'm like, but that's the way the director wants you to see it. And he came back to me with, well, what if the director wants you to see more resolution in the picture and see more detail in the image and because of that wants it to be pan and scan and is willing to sacrifice, you know, cropping the sides so that you can actually see the detail there? And I'm like, huh, that's actually like what James Cameron says in terms of like pan and scanning and... You know, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, there, there, there's a point to be made there. And because of that, like, because of that conversation on Laserdisc, I would always buy the pan and scan versions of James Cameron movies. And I kind of took that through, that philosophy through, you know, to today. Counterpoint to that, though, is would the resolution really get better on that? Because oh, yeah. I, I was always under the impression that resolution, like things got a little grainier and a little fuzzier if you zoomed in on the picture because it wasn't meant to be. That's a, that's the way it had been explained to me at, at one point. Yeah, well, there, okay, there's a difference there. Yes, that is true. 
if you're like, for example, taking the prequels, which, you know, the episodes two and three, which were shot, you know, in 1080p or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you're watching them on a 1080p monitor, if you zoom in that image, you're going to be losing resolution because you're maxing it out already, right? But when you're talking about zooming in an image on a 35 millimeter print for a standard definition super low res transfer Ah, you know i mean you're not just taking that letterboxed image and cropping it and making it bigger you're completely retransferring the movie at a different resolution so in this case yes you are definitely seeing more detail in the blown up you know now i mean in a case in the case of let's say you know the the prequels which were shot digitally in 16 by 9 and then just cropped for the widescreen presentation if you take off those black bars in the top and bottom you're not gaining any resolution you're just you know seeing more stuff on the top and bottom and that's not beneficial in that sense okay so with the prequels we you know we, we've established some of this technical stuff here and with phantom menace You've seen every version that's been released, yeah? You saw it in the theater. You saw the VHS. You've seen the DVD, and you've seen the Blu-ray. Yeah. I I don't think there were any changes to the digital version that was released in, like, four theaters, right? I'm guessing probably not. Oh, and I've seen the 3D version. There you go. Oh, that's right. I saw the 3D version as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was that. Wow, I'd forgotten about that. Because, oh, gosh, yeah. Wow, I I took my... uh, I took my oldest to her, that was like, I took her out of school for her, it was like a fifth birthday present. She had a doctor's appointment that day. I said, hey, let's go see Phantom Menace with Daddy. That's cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, and she wore wore a little purple shirt that uh, had uh, cartoony Princess Leia and Darth Vader and just said, Daddy's little girl. That's cool. That was pretty neat. (laughs) That's my girl. We were one of about only us in the theater when we saw it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, weekday afternoon or whatever, I guess that's how it's going to be. Yeah, it was like 11.20 in the morning yeah. or something like that. An interesting holdover from that, though, is, you know, when they remastered it, you know, and, and released DCPs uh, for that 3D release, they actually did do a simultaneous 2D release of that. Like, I don't know if any theaters showed it, but, I mean, they shipped to theaters. Like, I saw it. I, I mean, I didn't see it, but I saw the the file on a hard drive um and uh because of that because they did like remaster the movie um the dcps which exist now for the 2d version which played uh at the marathon um before episode seven the seven movie marathon they actually are just like a 2d version of the 3d version Mm -hmm. so because of that the Lucasfilm logo at the beginning, which does the weird, like, 3D coming at you, Lucasfilm. <laughs> yeah. Like, it does that. So it has, like, this yeah. weird, like, drop shadow thing, and you're like, that's an interesting choice. Why does it do that for just this one movie, you know? But that's yeah. the reason, yeah. yeah. So. Well, I mean, I, for me, and it, this is my question for you, I, I actually think that the Blu-ray version of Phantom Menace is pretty stellar. I think it looks great. I like I like the changes that were made, uh, some of the, the, the compositing changes that were made uh, for like the view screen on the Trade Federation battle cruiser, um, and some of the shots. I mean, I mean, you know, seeing the full frame, I think that the picture looks better, and you know, I'm sure this is all tied to the work that they did for, you know, the, like you said, the the remaster they did uh, w- when they released the 3D, and. I mean, for me, the Blu-ray version of Phantom Menace, I think, is authoritatively, I'm like, wow, this is the version that I think is as close as he's going to get to his his vision. Now, I'm not saying it's it's a perfect film. There's still two things that I would trim. But, I mean, in terms of the changes, were there any changes that were made? I mean, you know what? Let's just cut to it. The pod race. Mm-hmm. Changes every time. Yeah. Why do you think it changes every time? I think because he keeps on looking at it and seeing like a little thing here or there that he's like, I wish I could just change that one little thing, you know? And then he does, you know? I, I mean, he's he's talked about how he's like an editor, you know, by nature, right? Mm-hmm. And, and most of these changes are like editorial. 
So I can totally see him like editing something and then going like, yeah, that's good. And then like watching it, watching it with an audience, you know, all this stuff and being like, ah, I'd add that little thing there, you know? So when it's yeah. next time comes around or whatever, he's like, add this thing in. Or probably, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly don't know how these work because obviously it's like, you know, shrouded in secrecy. But the way that this information kind of like leaks out here and there, I get the impression that he was kind of just saying like, okay, guys, just do this for me. And the they would be like, okay, I guess we're doing that today, you know? Even though there's yeah. not going to be another release for like three years or whatever. It's just like he sees something and he's like, let's just fix that right now. And then it'll be there for when we need it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So so I, I get the impression that that's kind of like what happened, you know? And then he would watch it again, you know, on the DVD or whatever and be like, oh, but I would add that one more shot. Just guys, just add this one more shot. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that's that's the impression that I get for that. And, you know, I mean, is it better or worse? You know, the pod race being longer. I mean, it's kind of hard for me to actually say because there is such a gap in terms of like when I've seen the various versions. Like I don't I've never done like a side by side comparison, you know. Right. I just I'm going off of memory and, you know, like th things that people are pointing out to me and stuff like that. And my feeling is that. It drags more now. Um, now, I don't know whether yeah. or not that's because I've seen it a million times or whether that's because it actually is longer. But my impression is that it drags more now and that, you know, it would be better if it was a bit tighter. But if I were to see, like, specifically shot-by-shot -shot comparisons, I might be like, oh, yeah, that's a good beat. You know, maybe we should cut out another beat earlier in this thing or something along those lines, you know? Yeah, I, I for me the pod race, I really enjoyed it theatrically. Uh, I enjoyed seeing the extra stuff on the VHS, and then it's it's been tankered with. I do the reason I've always liked the changes and the additions, and it, I, I'm pretty sure the Blu-ray runs less than the VHS, which ran more than the DVD. So the Blu-ray sort of like in the middle uh, in, in terms of you know what's added and what's left out. And the reason I've always liked the changes is because the stuff was always more going on in the crowds, more flavor. It wasn't just the vehicles. It was, you know, showing the vehicles go by and then showing a guy selling, you know, a rack of animals to eat in the stands. I like that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that stuff gives it real character and makes me more invested in the world. I'm having more fun because it's really communicating that this is, uh, you know, like a family sporting event. You know, oh, God, you know, our hero is in danger. But I think that, you know, nobody in the audience, everybody in the audience knows Anakin's going to survive this thing. There's no tension about him blowing up or, or there being a failure that sets them back. So why not spend the time to establish some things and give some, you know, some crowd flavor and those sorts of things in order to acknowledge, you know what, yeah, we know he's in danger, but at the same time, we're going to enjoy, what we're here for is to enjoy what's going on, not try to trick you that Anakin's going to die right now. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, I see that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's definitely not a uh, a deal breaker for me, but my my impulse is like, this thing goes on for a long time. We should we should make it shorter. And of course, I think it's on the DVD or somewhere where he talks about how the person who suggested like make it longer, you know, because it was shorter mm -hmm. originally. And the person who said make it longer, which I think might have been for the theatrical release, actually, was Ron Howard. Mm -hmm. So um, that's interesting. <laughs> well, it certainly gives gives some flavor for. Uh you know, what kind of changes he might make to Miller and Lord's pacing. Maybe. Uh, to the Han Solo movie, at the very least. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we, we jumped to the pod race. We sort of glossed over. One, one thing I want to jump back to is the effect of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan running away from the Droidicas mm -hmm. has changed each time. Yeah. It was a thing of confusion. I remember in 99, a thing of confusion of people saying, what, what, happened did they disappear what did they jump suddenly and then in the blu-ray they sort of 
they're flickering. And then uh, if I recall, uh, you know, in the, in the DVD, it's sort of, I, I don't know whether it was a transfer or not, but they, they see it, it just doesn't convey speed. What do you think of that effect now? Like, do you think that effect works? I mean, it's so obviously, and I'm going to say it's so obviously that one insert of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon talking, like it's it's you and McGregor a couple of months after some binge drinking and his hair growing in a little bit. Yeah. You know. So like you can tell that that shot was was later and it's like can't you do anything with that digitally maybe or I don't know. <laughs> it's it's one of those things it's it's basically the equivalent of the uh of the Greedo scene from A New Hope where it's like yeah. we're going to keep on keep on trying to get this sooner or later we're going to get it so that it actually works and it's like well you had it right the first time guys but no i mean i think with this one they didn't have it right the first time i think like yeah. you know i remember seeing it in the theater and thinking like what did they just because it really does look like someone is just like putting them in you know fast forward right yeah it right. doesn't it doesn't actually look like someone and i'm like is Oh, they're supposed to be. It wasn't like until it was explained to me that it's like, oh, they're running fast because they're Jedi. You know, like that does not read at all. And Which, I think that there's, I don't know what the solution is to that. I don't think that there is necessarily a good solution. I think that it's one of those things where it's like on paper you say, well, they run faster because they're Jedi. But then, like the way that that humans like work. And the way that we perceive, like, running, there's no way to do that in any way that doesn't look fake. You know what I mean? I do. I think that the uh, I'm pretty happy with the effect now. I don't, I don't accept it as super speed because I remember the arguments in 1999 of, well, if they're moving in super speed then, if Jedi can do that, why the hell doesn't Obi-Wan put on super speed to get through those gates to help Qui-Gon during the duel with Darth Maul? Mm-hmm. And there were so many whacked out theories about that. I, I don't know if you remember them, but there, there were so many whacked out theories where, and one of them that seemed to have stuck for some time was that the whole fight was occurring at that speed, but Lucas slowed it down for us. So the whole fight actually, I don't know, took, 30 seconds or something but he slowed it down like you know a a hummingbird in slow motion so that we could see what was going on i put out the theory at the time and there were others i think too that said it's something where two jedi have to be working in tandem for that power to work but i think this all speaks to your point of you know they he was sort of painted in a corner and how are you going to get out of it they run fast okay and it's like that's fine i I don't have that big of a problem with it but it's you know it's obviously the the only way out of this is to do that. The the hoops that fans will jump through in oh, yeah. order to explain the oh, stuff yeah. that, you know, maybe the filmmaker <laughs> just got wrong in this one scene, you know? Yeah. Let's change the entire third act to explain why they're <laughs> running fast in this one shot. Let's okay. circle the wagons and not admit that it's just a film and some things didn't work as well as you, as you would have hoped. And speaking of not working as well as they would have hoped, I think one change that was greeted with great joy throughout fandom was uh, with the Blu-ray release when we finally got um, Yoda back uh, mm-hmm. instead of the garden gnome that sat in for him in 1999. Yeah. And this uh, is one where, you know, they actually said uh, uh, Rob Coleman, right? That's yeah. the guy's name. He 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 said like um I think it was before episode 3 came out that George Lucas went to him and was like, "Okay, guys, you know, just as like a warm-up so that you guys are ready for all your your hot Yoda action in, in episode 3, I want you to go in and make give me a digital yoda for all of the phantom menace and like that was obviously like seven years before we actually saw it and it actually appeared in uh, like a documentary that's on like a dvd or on a disc somewhere or a history channel or something there 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 was um there was actually one thing where what uh if i recall correctly coleman did to prove to lucas that it was a thing they could do in the first place was he digitally replaced Yoda in a shot from The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, okay. Where he was talking. My memory could be wrong about that. 
But that's a, that's a dangerous, uh, a dangerous road to go down. I have to say, jeez, right? But <laughs> I, I, I recall. You know what? I actually recall it was Coleman sitting on the couch, and Lucas standing up, and they had a big monitor in front of them, and I remember it was a shot from Empire Strikes Back, and um, like he had he had like a Yoda wireframe laid over, and he was talking about you know uh, their their approach to everything. Um, because I think it's it's wrapped up in that whole thing with episode two, where at the end they couldn't get the amount of sadness right in Yoda's eyebrows. And they showed Lucas, you know, working with everybody, saying, no, he doesn't look quite right. He doesn't look quite right. And I remember they got it to one point where they purposely overdid it. And I, re- and I remember this, uh, Lucas saying, it's like, oh, well, now he just looks pathetic. <laughs> and, and, like, one of them said, okay, so tell us how much to bring it back then. <laughs> Like we went this far on purpose, so you could tell us they was like we were going up by little bits, just so we went too far. So tell us how to bring it back. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I forget which documentary. I mean, I wish they would have a, a a set where they just released all of the documentaries on Blu-ray, like all of them, all the way back to the original making of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean th- that documentary, the beginning, you know, that's on episode yeah. one, is such a good documentary. And when they came out with episode two, and it was sort of like just a stripped down EPK version of that, I was like, "What's going on, guys?" And with episode three, although I don't think it's nearly as good as the beginning, I think they really did redeem themselves by, you know, taking a very unique approach to the documentary, where it's like, let's look at every aspect of production of one scene you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just see like how that and i thought that that was a really interesting like insight into the filmmaking process and and i'll I'll give them a pass for that just because it it works so well you know (laughs) it it does it does um and something that i noticed when we were looking at uh looking at the stuff is not just yoda changed but his chair did too oh yeah um and, and I think that's probably one of the ones where it's like, even if you, like, even if you notice it the first time, you sort of like catalog because you're more focused on the Yoda. I, I mean, personally, I think that the Yoda in the Blu-ray of Phantom Menace is so good. I wish they would. I mean, why not? I mean, that maybe this would have happened had Lucas retained the reins, but I would have liked to see that applied throughout the rest of the films. Just you're like, going to hell. No, not, not, not the original three. I'm not talking okay. about the original trilogy. Okay. No, okay. I, don't want, I don't want people, all I don't right. want the pitchforks coming for me. All right. I'm talking about Because I had my pitchfork right right back here. I was all I ready know. to grab it, you know? Pitchforks and tweet storms coming out. Okay. I, I got it. I got it. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. uh, so, you know, that I mean, that's basically Phantom Menace. There, there was the inserted scene in the DVD where they had the air car mm-hmm. going. Yeah, um, I remember that. I like that. Yeah, I like it too. I think I, th- I think it's a I think it's a good addition, primarily because you get, and, and you know I think thematically it just works where Anakin is standing there, and he stops, and he looks back at Qui Gon. He doesn't know whether he's supposed to go with Padme or the Jedi, mm-hmm. and I like that because it's a little bit of foreshadowing. He's not going to know who to go with, and so I like yeah, I guess so. I just kind of like seeing the the uh, sort of like vistas of you know Coruscant or whatever, and it's like oh cool. It's Although like I will a point out log. that in 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 uh, the shot where you can see them sitting in the taxi with Jar Jar, there's this weird flattening effect on Jar Jar, where he he it just doesn't look like he looks two dimensional. Like he looks three dimensional through the rest of the film, but he looks like just a two dimensional Photoshop picture on top of it. Um, when the when the taxi starts moving, there's like some sort of weird effect that yeah. happens. Hmm. So interesting. It was also interesting, like on that DVD set, how like and this was like a big deal because I don't think anything had ever done this before. But they were like, we're gonna have a bunch of deleted scenes, which was rare for a Star Wars movie to begin with. But mm-hmm. they're all gonna be like fully produced, you know? Where it's like, wow, okay. You know, that's that's a that's pretty bold. I don't quite understand why you would do it, but it's pretty bold, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought that, um, that if there's one scene I wish that they would bring back in, uh, it would be, and they could even just do the back half of it because they showed him stop off the old woman who could feel the storm coming in her bones, and then they're walking along, and they show the Darth Maul probe droid. And Qui-Gon spins around and cuts it in half. Yeah. And that's why they're running in the next scene. 
Yeah. Like that it, was always a, a terrible edit right there where it's like, all of a sudden we're running because we yeah. need to get there really fast, I guess. Well, <laughs> you know, to speak of fans with theories, well, Qui-Gon sensed something was up and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, know, that doesn't so play well on film. Sorry, guys. Uh, no, I, I definitely I definitely think it should be put back in. Yeah, I would I, agree I, with I that. I really do. Yeah. I really do. Um, all right, so that's Phantom Menace. So now we move on to uh, episode two, our first fully digital uh, Star Wars film. And uh, there are changes, of course, uh, between the theatrical, the digital, and the Blu-ray releases. Um, sort of smaller I think in scale than uh, some of the other changes that happen to Phantom Menace over time. I mean, there are definitely fewer of them. Um, I remember, and, like the the ones that stood out to me, like because a lot of them are just sort of like finishes, you know, like yeah. um, when Anakin's lightsaber goes flying in the uh, in the chase, yeah, uh, and uh, Obi Wan reaches up to grab it. Like I think in the thirty-five millimeter version, he his hand breaks frame, much like mine is doing right now in our like video. Like yours conference. is doing right now. It's but freaky, in the yeah. uh, in the the digital yeah. version, they actually digitally tilt it up so that you could still see his hand as he catches the the lightsaber. Yeah, and I know that there are speed. I mean, the thing is, the speeder itself is easier to see. Yeah, um, they, they they seem to have recomposited some things and. Uh, there's a background speeder that's cut out mm. that was zipping by. Um, and so that yeah, the theory is that it's because it, it was taking focus away from Obi-Wan and what he wanted you to pay attention to. So, yeah. but the biggest change for me uh, when it, when it came home was the extended scene of Anakin and Padme discussing what happened at the Tuscan camp. Yeah. I say, I don't think I noticed that to be honest. How could you not notice that? Because I didn't remember every single line of dialogue from this movie, you know, like seven oh, months after I had you know, seen it Mike, in the theater. Shame on you. Okay, shame sorry. On, no, I, uh, it, because, um, because the music gets extended, and then the Emperor's theme actually comes into it, right? And uh, uh, Anakin, th- now the thing is, I'll come back to something I still dislike about the scene that, that I'll come back to, but the extended dialogue where she sits down and we see him like actually broken down. And she says to be angry is to be human. And he says, I'm a Jedi. I know I'm better than this. Like there shows a real remorse to him. Like he's acknowledging I lost my cool. And I've all, I've all, you know, I've come back to this. I've said it on so many different forums where what Anakin did was wrong, but it's extremely understandable because as somebody who has lost a parent, uh, in you know tragic circumstances, if what if what took them from us had been a living thing, I think in that moment I probably would have snapped as well. So like it's one of those things where it is completely understandable why he snapped, and to see him show remorse, I think is extremely important because it speaks to the whole thematic thing of the road to hell being paved with you know good intentions and mistakes and for Anakin to acknowledge that it's a mistake that this is not who he wants to be I think is an important thing I, I think it's an important exchange for them to have so I mean that's me. I'll tell you one line of dialogue that I do remember being uh, changed in in that movie which yeah. I saw in the IMAX version first. oh yes I know um, mm-hmm. go ahead uh-huh. when uh, Padme falls out of the the ship and the clone trooper goes up to her and says, are you all right? In the original version, she goes, yep. <laughs> Just keeps on going. <laughs> yeah, yes. And yeah. then they change that to her going like, uh-huh, which is a slightly more realistic, you know, version of something that someone would say after falling out of a spaceship, you know? That, the that sand kind of was thing. very soft, and it wasn't a far fall, Mike. And she was able to roll. She tucked and rolled. She did what you're supposed to do. Fine, but she tucked and rolled and was on the ground <laughs> like, oh, my God, I just fell out of a plane. And then when someone was like, are you okay? She's like, yep. And I think very wisely they changed that little line of dialogue. On the IMAX screen, I, I believe, I, I seem to remember still seeing her mouth the word yes, you know, even though they changed the dialogue. 
but you know that was maintained in the uh, in the DVD release, which which made you me know happy. I I want to say that with that IMAX release, uh, one of the worst things that happened was some of those shots where they pixelated when they when they blew it up and zoomed oh, it in. Yeah, that Jawa sandcrawler scene. I remember seeing the pixelated edges on that, and I was like, "That's yeah. awful." It, it, that that I mean, because even now, like you know, even even two K, you know, is a higher resolution ever so slightly than what we we saw in, uh, you know, those those prequels, which were nineteen twenty by ten eighty, and you blow that up to IMAX, and there were no fake IMAX screens back then; they were all real yeah. IMAX screens on real fifteen, you know, perf seventy millimeter film, and when I saw that up on that massive screen at Navy Pier on opening day, I was like. <laughs> Wow, this movie looks like total garbage. <laughs> I mean, they had <laughs> cropped it or you know opened it up, depending on the shots and how many effects there were, or whatever recomposited, whatever, to to make it like I think probably sixteen by nine instead of two point three nine to one. Mm-hmm. And then because at that point in time they hadn't quite figured out a way to fit that much film onto an IMAX platter, they had to chop it down. In yep. order to get it under two hours, which I think actually helps the pacing in some scenes. Like there are some moments where people, you know, point to in that movie and go like, this is the worst thing ever. How could they think this is okay? This is so cringeworthy. And like they cut those moments out and I think it actually plays better. I mean, there's some stuff there... that they cut out where it's like, okay, that should still be in. Like, this is feeling like really rushed here. But like the stuff where like Padme and Anakin are like frolicking, like I think if they had maintained that like cut of it and like stuck that into the DVD, I think actually people would like the movie a lot more than they do now. Uh, I got no problem with the frolicking for anybody with a dead heart that's listening right now, it's it's fun. It, it captures youth and and all of those things. But one thing that I was happy to see trimmed in the IMAX release, I remember specifically because there is one line where, when I know it's coming, I just I I sort of you know grab my the the arm of my chair and I'm like okay okay here it comes and it's in the fireplace scene. Where he he says, you know, my heart is beating, hoping that this kiss does not become a scar or something like that. Yeah. And I and it was gone from the IMAX cut, and I I actually felt relief. I was like, this scene is so much better now. Mm-hmm. That it really is a thing where one single line can change a whole scene. Yeah. And it's you know it's um. You know I I mean. It's cringeworthy, but for me, it's not cringeworthy because it's bad per se. It's cringeworthy because I remember being that much of a fumbling boob when I was trying to date girls back when I was like 16 years old, like trying to be all Mr. Romantic poetic. And if I, you know, I wish I could cut some of the dialogue I've given in life, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, out of things. So, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, The other big thing, I guess, which, you know, was changed for the digital release is uh, the one of the very last shots of the movie, which was uh, of mm-hmm. his hand, where yeah. in the in the digital version she grabs it. And the, yeah, I, I had the good fortune of seeing both the the film and the digital releases when it came out. Yeah, and, and uh, I remember seeing that, and I was like, oh wow, cool. Uh, and the thing is, Lucas points to something you know in the DVD commentary. The uh, Sparks on Jango Fett's backpack. Ah, yes, yes, uh, there's that no, too. The rocket pack. Um, seem to, uh, he says, he's actually caught by surprise on the DVD when he's watching. He goes, oh, we did this for digital. Oh, okay, you managed to get it for this release. Like, it was it was one of those things where he didn't know which, you know, which tweak was going to make it. But, um, yeah, the, the extra sparks are supposed to indicate that he's trying to take off and when uh, Mace Windu uh, cuts him down. And and, his head. and and when he cuts him down, I think there's a little change too, if I'm not mistaken, where um you as as the head goes flying and the mask goes flying in one of the later releases, I don't know if it was the digital or not, but it's very, very quick. It's only a few frames, but you can see mm-hmm. the shadow of the head yes. falling out of the helmet. Yes. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. 
I, I truly do. Uh, one thing I don't like about the Blu-ray cut is the end uh, when Yoda is saving Anakin and Obi-Wan. They recut a couple of moments and it does not it does not play as well. The music does not flow as well. And I really wish that they would restore that back to uh, what it was in the theatrical version. But Yeah, I can't say I recall the difference. Well, there. I mean, there's one theory that it's actually an error um, mm-hmm. of putting things together. And before the Star Trek II 4K release, I would shrug that off and say, no, that didn't happen. But then I think to myself, well, wait a minute. That happened with the Star Trek four, the Star Trek two four K release, oh, yeah. where they had they picked the wrong shot. Remember, they had to reissue well, it, a whole ton of it, of Blu rays. It happens all the time. I mean, we just talked about it, like on the 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 initial you know pressings of the definitive collection, uh, you know the the big you know two hundred and fifty dollar laserdisc set of the original trilogy with those THX remasters. There's one side break which uh the, the start of the side the start of the side is the scene in which um you know you know stop that my hands are dirty you know that that scene mm-hmm. and it starts off with a, a wide shot of leia um working on the thing and then mm-hmm. it cuts to a closer shot of the two of them or of, of her as han walks in um, that wide shot was the first shot on the side, and in the initial releases, it was missing. That shot was oh. just gone, started off with the next shot. And there was actually a thing where you could return your disc in order to get the the, the updated version. I don't know, though. I mean, the thing is, it's so different that it has to be intentional. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's feasible to say that it's you know an assembly error. I don't know. I. It's one of those things where I was so happy with the end of Attack... Like, seriously, for quite a time, if I needed to relax, just sort of like, you know, take the edge off, I would start with Mace Windu's foot entering frame on Geonosis. And from that point forward, so far as I was concerned, the film was absolutely, unassailably perfect. Um, and so to have that change, I since I've watched it a few more times, I can live with it, but I still wish it it would be restored uh back to to what it was but yeah i i mean i think that um i mean what do you think i mean with 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 her grabbing his artificial hand do you think that that adds significantly to the scene or the read of the film i mean i don't know if it's like significant if it's like all of a sudden i'm bumping this up a half star or whatever but i mean i think (laughs) that that individual shot plays better yeah okay you know so do you think it's for the better that he went back and tinkered with these? Because the thing is, we're not, I mean, we're not going to bother addressing the, the one wipe in Revenge of the Sith that was there, not there, back again, um, is when Obi-Wan is leaving Mustafar. That's it. Yeah. Um, so do you think it's a good thing that he went in and tinkered with Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones? Do you think that the end product by the time we get here to the Blu-rays is better? I would say that it is. Um, I, you know, I, I think that, like like I was saying, these were minor changes and things which he probably was, you know, still playing around with, and they, they were, you know, small enough that, you know, he could just kind of change it, and it doesn't really make that much of a difference. It doesn't tremendously rock the boat. Most people won't even notice them. But, you know, they're little tweaks which, you know, are, for the most part, improvements. Um, I do wish that the original cuts you know as they originally appeared in theaters like completely unaltered no sound mixing whatever nothing i just wish the uh, very original cuts that were first shown in theaters were available just if for no other reason so that we could compare and see how he changed these things and and you know maybe get into like the the nitty-gritty and try to figure out why um, but uh, that's my only real complaint in that area. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I made reference before to how we all have a little bit of the archivist in us, in us and I would love to have the originals to do the side-by-side, uh, you know, for those reasons, and also to try to confirm one thing that I just haven't had the time to really, like, go back, because I still have the DVD, but I am convinced on the Blu-ray that there are certain reaction shots that have changed and certain 
scenes where he is maybe digitally dropped in a different reaction shot from somebody. Um, like especially Panaka, some of his reaction shots seem to be quicker. Uh, some of the dialogue seems to play faster than it did originally, but I, I would have to go back, you know, to confirm that. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think the, I think the Blu-ray versions are, are, you know, I mean, Attack of the Clones ending, I've, I've come to live with it, uh, the, the change that was made, but I think Phantom Menace is, is, you know, pretty much substantially improved, uh, from the, from what I remember of the theatrical cut compared to, uh, to the Blu-ray. And, uh, I enjoyed Phantom Menace to begin with, so, uh, you know, all the better. So, I, I mean, is there something that we missed? Is there something that you disagree with? Is there something that you think we're just absolutely nuts for harping on or, or paying any attention to at all? You can reach out to us at thenerdparty.com slash contact. Look up Great Shot Kid and drop us a line. You can reach out to, uh, to us through the network Twitter account at Join Nerd Party. We're on Instagram, The Nerd Party, Facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. And nerdparty.com is home to a whole raft of shows. Uh, SETI Alpha 3, Nerd Nuptial, Owlpost, Aggressive Negotiations, Missing Frames, Pitch It. Um, I'm sorry, not Pitch It, Punch It, my bad. Uh, punch It. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got a lot of talent. We've got everything for every niche uh, that you could possibly be interested in. Uh, but that's all about the Nerd Party. Mike, where can people reach out to you on the Internet? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on uh, CommentaryTrackStars.com, doing Commentary Trackstars, and you can find me on the TalkFilmSociety.com, doing Soderbergh2828, and you can find me on Trek.fm, doing The Edge, and Stage 9 with you. Yes, with me, Stage 9, where we look at the work of Star Trek creators, and we're having a lot of fun because there is a lot of different uh, discovery news that's coming out and maybe some new Nick Meyer news that we might be talking about soon. Who knows? Maybe, I know. always love a chance to talk about that Star Trek creator. Who doesn't? Yeah. Uh, you can also find me back here on the network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. And you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And if you want to interact with me online, my nom de plume is Kessel Junkie. So we gave you a break. Uh, you had some extra time to study. But uh, next week, we will be looking at the works of Miller and Lord and Ron Howard as a comparison. We're going to be looking at 21 Jump Street and The Paper. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.